and welcome to Turtle Tracks Podcast. This is your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm very excited to announce that I'm here with Stu Gillard, the writer and director of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Thank you so much for being here. I know I've been uh, bugging you for upwards of two years, but I appreciate <laughs> you doing this. Thank you so much. This is great. Brian, I'm so glad you contacted me and that we got back in touch together after, I think it was just before COVID or after COVID that we... It was just before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, have a rule. I don't say no. Like, if somebody says no, I'll, I'll back off. But if somebody doesn't say no, I'm like, I'm just going to keep seeing if this works. You, and then... you were, it was perfect. And I, you know, I, I discovered <laughs> your last email and I'm like, oh my God, I should call Brian back. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And yeah, I, I, I watched it. I mean, I've watched it hundreds of times. So I watched it again this movie this morning just to kind of refresh myself as if I needed it. And uh, yeah, I, I guess to get started, I mean, I would love to hear how you got the job. How did you end up working on it? And how did you end up being the writer and director? Because that was the first time one of the, uh, the Turtle movies were done that way. That's right. I think it is. Um, I'd done some work. I was shooting. It's one of those kind of convoluted ways where Golden Harvest reached out to me. Um, I'd, done, I'd, I'd written and directed some movies. I was doing some TV shows. And I happened to be filming somewhere where a, a, a producer I was working with said, hey, you know, they're going to do a new Turtles movie. And I'd seen the first two, of course, because I've got kids that age. And so I saw that whole phenomenon happen. Yeah. And uh, so I went down and met with Golden Harvest in, in in Los Angeles. That's where their offices were in Beverly Hills. And I loved the idea of trying. It was kind of daunting, to be honest with you, because the first one was such a huge success and such a cultural event, you know, it was, and it was a bit stressful to be thrown into the third one. And the second one I liked very much too, with Brian uh, Michael Pressman did. I thought he did some nice work. Yeah. But uh, there was a little bit of pushback from the Peter Laird and uh, Kevin Eastman because they felt the second one had gotten too soft. So, yeah. you know, there, if you remember, there was a little pushback from some parent groups, I think, as well, as there always is, you know, about the violence. And, and to me, and I have children, it's so apparent that it's a movie, you know, the turtles are running around. I, yeah, I didn't yeah. kind of feel that that was getting, the realism but, here. Let's, yeah, let's, yeah. It's little rubber suits and little rubber heads are talking. So <laughs> I I had really had trouble with that. So so when they talked to me, they said, what do you want? And I said, I'd like to make the third one a little edgier and go back to a darker version of like the first movie. And I think that's what interested them in me doing the story. Mm. So I'd written uh, some movies at that point and, and that they read the scripts that they liked and directed a few pictures and um we ultimately made a deal but it was predicated on eastman and laird because in this process eastman and laird retained story rights oh okay yeah so they had approval of story and then once they signed off on the story then the screenplay could be written so it was a real tentative deal because uh i was in the middle of directing a lot of stuff and I had to try to take a flyer because I had to go to um, Massachusetts where they lived in this little town, which oh, you can't because sure. they won't fly, right? So one of them I think doesn't. Yeah, is it Peter or Peter Please. Laird? I think so. Kevin's a motorcycle guy, right? So yeah. we had to, you know, I had to fly in there with a couple of executives from Golden Harvest, Tom Gray and David Chan, who ultimately produced the picture. And I would have to come up with a bunch of story ideas, like full-blown pitches, you know, 35-page treatments, go down there, go in the room, pitch it to these two guys who I met for the first time. And, and Brian, as I'm sitting there pitching the first one, which, by the way, they hated, I, I'm pitching this idea, and I see them 
you know, they're not paying any attention. They're casually ripping open envelopes, which they leave on the table in front of me as they're opening. And I'm seeing money from their serial residuals of checks of over a million dollars from the serial rights alone, <laughs> which is, you know, their way of telling me, you know, we, we don't, don't really, need, we don't need you. So, <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? So, I did multiple trips. I think I went there three times, Brian. I I wrote out so many different scenarios for so many different movies. I can't tell you. Do you remember any of what the alternates were? That's so interesting to me. I figured that was already uh, set. No, I I can't really. I remember one took place in Florida. Um, <laughs> I know, which was. Uh, kind of an ecological story, which they just hated. And they're like, well, they would never do this. And I, I, So um, we were actually, actually they had turned down the the last one of mine that I pitched where I was sitting there thinking, well, you know, I just wasted a bunch of time. And we just got chatting and they were in a little better mood that day, I guess. And they said, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, they said, or I said, I said, I really like time travel movies. Or they said, we love time travel movies. And I said, well, then why don't we do a time travel movies where the turtles go back to ancient Japan? And that's what sold it in the room. I mean, there was no oh, story. Oh. Yeah. And they really liked it. So, they, you know, we took heat for not taking characters from the original comic book on this movie. But ironically, it was Eastman and Laird who wanted to do something different. They didn't want to reprise Shredder and those guys. They wanted to do a whole different world with the turtles. So well, yeah, that's... I, mean, I think that they kind of got into a rut with the yeah, yeah. the idea of doing another Shredder movie, and I, I like, I you know, I you know, I was too dumb to know any better, and I like, and I still enjoy the second one now, but like, the they never, the turtles never fought Shredder in the second movie, so like, yeah, exactly, the, they never, exactly. so like, I think that they pretty much burned Shredder for a while. So I know, and the first one, you know, was. So beautifully staged and done in such gorgeous shots, you know, those big silhouette shots when they all walk in. Yeah. Really gorgeous. And I had the same editor, by the way, Bill, uh, William Gordine, Bill Gordine. Oh, did you? Cut, cool. cut mine. He's really, he, you know, he cut really Scott's movies. He's cut huge pictures. And he's a really good filmmaker. And he came up with that whole sequence in the first one about, you know, all the street stuff where they're stealing things and all that. He he took a little handout camera and shot all that stuff. None of that was in the in the original footage. Oh, wow. He, he really... Recut that movie and made it work, but the footage was brilliant and dark, and I really, really liked it. it had a different April, as you know. Yeah. So um, the second one, I think they didn't have; they just wanted to get it out there really quick, and it just got oh, they away. made it. It came out less than a year to yeah. the day of the first, which is insanity. That's it was crazy to, to yeah. whip a script together, and I think that's why it kind of that's why the, the guys wanted to do something quite different in number three. Yeah, so I've heard he's been talking about it because. Uh, you you may or may not know this, but like most of the fans, like when they're ranking and all that, usually rank the third one as the third of their favorites of the original movies. And yep. but Eastman's very insistent. He's like, you know, the third one um, was uh, we made a point to make it edgier again. The war turtles, whether people recognize it or not, actually are using their weapons again. Like, yeah, yeah, they never used them in the second movie. They actually exactly there's actual fight scenes. So like. Yeah. I, I th there's there's a lot of like I, again I love the movie but there's a lot in there and and I think that uh, it, it's interesting to me the Eastman says right after the first movie that that the third movie is is his favorite so that is interesting to hear I know that they were very enthusiastic when we made it we have very few notes from them they were they came out visit the set and you know it's a you know a 
a rip of, of Seven Samurai, really. I mean, that's the story. Like many of Seven did the same thing, right? It's oh yeah. You know, you come back into a war, a village that's under siege, and you you these heroes show up and they save the day. But we try to put in a lot of emotion with you know Raphael and the kid, and yeah, that was all done on that was. And you know, let's face it, to do those that stuff, we also took it on location. We we shot all that up in Oregon, up in the mountains, which was. So I was cursing the writer. It was huge. So as um, the director in me was cursing the writer in me for having written those sequences because they were. <laughs> They were so difficult to pull off, you sure. know. I mean, actually riding on horseback or we were up, you know, several thousand feet in the mountain of that village was all built on a mountain up there in the big castle. And so for me as a director, I love making that picture because it's so visual. Ancient Japan. I didn't I wasn't stuck just in present day New York, you know. Or or North Carolina somehow Dublin, <laughs> which is really what they did the other one. <laughs> yeah, Wilmington, North Carolina, doubling us. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny you mentioned oh, the horse. That's something I never thought about. But like, it's already hard enough to film with these men in rubber suits, and the puppets are over there, and the puppeteers are over there. Yeah. Like, was it hard to? Because oh. there's a handful of scenes with them on horses. It was really difficult. I mean. It was nuts. Uh, we had, you know, I think there's four turtles for every turtle at one point. You've got, you know, you had a, the hero turtle with the servos. You've got the kind of fighting bow on the ground turtle. Then there's the horse guy turtles who could ride horses. And then there's another turtle that gets yanked off the back horse, get full gallop going backwards, as you can imagine. Yeah. That, that poor stuntman as he's watching that line, as the horse is galloping and he's seeing the line and he knows it. Five, four, three, two, one. He's going to get yeah, get yanked off that horse like a yeah massive hit. So, just to coordinate that stuff and uh, get those shots was really difficult. We had a very famous. Um, I don't know if you know this, but we had a very famous stunt man called Mickey Moore, who shot Spielberg stuff. He shot. Uh, I think he shot the Indiana Jones stunts. Um, coordinated it, but Mickey Moore goes back. He's a Hollywood legend. He goes back uh, like. 40, 50 years, he did huge pictures. So he, I storyboarded the some of the fighting out, and he went and shot that with a second, with a separate unit. Some of it, because I didn't have time to get all that stuff. Sure. I shot most of it, but he went and shot some of the horse balls, like the really tricky stuff. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's the only way you could ever make that, right? You don't have enough days to actually get all those that those pieces. And they're so specific and so time-consuming to get safely. If you sure. think about it, the guy can't see, right? They just have little slits. Yeah. You know, so they're basically blind. So it's safety is a huge issue. As you can and imagine, guys. Leonardo is like standing on the horse, basically. Yes. Yes. They're really like this. So look. And not only, so not only that, are they that in the turtle suits, but in the first part, when they just zap back in time, they're also in the full warrior suit, which I, I which were pretty bulky. Very bulky. Those full samurai suits, exactly. Those look great, by the way. The I mean, suits they, look fantastic. They good. That they wardrobe, that wardrobe designer is amazing. She works for mm -hmm. uh, Oliver Stone all the time. She's really talented. All that stuff, you know, you know, it's so funny because it's a turtle movie. It's, a, it's guys in rubber suits and they're you know radioactive turtles. But if you're setting that aside, the production values were really high. I mean, she really re all that stuff's authentic. Some of the stuff was was all brought in from Japan or handmade. All those costumes. Oh wow, suits. that's so cool. Yeah, that's real, real stuff. And then the production designer Roy Forge Smith is a British 
designer is just brilliant. He's done a lot of movies. But I love Roy because he started with the Pythons. He designed all the Python movies. Monty oh, Python. Cool. The, yeah, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. That's all Roy. Yeah. Smith. yeah. And in some of the Python stuff, he's dressed up as those old Python ladies running around with the purse. That's yeah. Roy. So he brought this great, whimsical, crazy comedy to, to me. But his drawings, which unfortunately I don't have any longer, they were like paintings you could hang on the wall, like his drawings of the castle. He could do forced perspective. He was really, really talented guy. So all that production value was there. You know, horses were top quality stunt coordinator. A friend of mine brought the horses down. Wow. So that part was was an enormous undertaking to do. Yeah. It was just and, and then less money than the second one had gotten. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because they they, they were in some conflict, I think, with uh, uh, um, Jim. Jim uh, the, 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 we had a different group that are turtles. I'm trying to think. Who, I can't remember who it was. Uh, oh, had, actually, I interviewed those guys uh, like a month or two ago. Really? Yeah. 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 Uh, um, um, Eric Allard and all effects. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Back. And they did a pretty good job because that was a huge thing to not have the Hansons with us. Because I think yeah, I don't so know what, what happened the, there. Was it a, was it a money thing? Because I know I have. I have no idea. I, I'm guessing it's money. It was there was yeah. some falling out between the two parties, which was kind of too bad because the Hansons obviously invented it and they bring that kind of comedy whiz, you know, whimsy to those those characters. But uh, no, Allard did an amazing job. He had, he had oh, start, start from ground zero. Oh, yeah. And, absolutely. and you know, those things are really complicated, Brian. Yeah, I mean, you're because you got a guy in the suit, you got somebody off camera. Yep. Voicing and controlling the head. Yes. Yep. Right. Yep. Now, was it was it weird for you? Like who when you directed, who were you directing? <laughs> I was directing the uh, actor turtles, the guys okay. who were doing the bodysuit acting. Sure. So, so that's why it's so odd, you know, for these actors, because they were so excited to get the part. But we had to cast basically Iron Man to play those turtles roles because it's so physically demanding. So we had to cast guys that, you know, were actors in the sense they knew the role, they knew they could do the body language, and they they, they would they could voice the part. In rehearsals um but they ultimately of course are replaced the voices are all replaced by yet another set of actors right so you have your actors that you cast to wear the suit and as i said a lot of them were like you know they had to be like triathletes like boxers i mean they had to be really physically handy to to use the weapons in the close-ups and to have the stamina because those heads weigh 30 35 pounds right and they have all the servos going and they can't breathe so Often they would just pass out. As I don't think the directors told you that, but in our, they would just. I've, I've heard that. Yeah, from yeah. people. I've interviewed a couple of people who were in those suits too. Yeah, um, and it's it's. Um, Sisti. I don't know if he did yours. I don't know that he did. I think I he did yours too. And another guy. They had this musical tour. Oh uh, wow! And <laughs> one of the people who did the musical tour was talking about like how the first night of the show, <laughs> everybody, just, like the turtles were literally passing out on stage. So. <laughs> they removed the shells from all their. It was for a stage, so they removed the shells from all their things, threw them in the dumpster, and replaced them with jean jackets because. No. They yeah, they couldn't stand how heavy it was. <laughs> so yeah, I've heard a lot of stories about how those things were just brutal to wear. Brutal. We'd have to blow oxygen in their mouth. They open up their mouth, and when you talk to them, when I was directing them, they would have to. The puppeteer would open the mouth up, and then you just see it through a black screen. This 
little kind of hazy little hot face behind it and that would be your actors and i'd be screaming directions to them so but then the puppeteers to your point would be off camera well at that time you know it was no cgi so it was all practical so they're running all the cables and the servos and they are doing the dialogue right and so because they're matching their mouth movements and they're you know phenomenally skilled these puppeteers to do that it's incredibly complicated to eyebrows going mouth going nose and all that stuff and they were the four puppeteers were really funny i think i used some of their ad libs i'm sure i did very very talented so there's, guys there's a few there's, i mean there's quite a few lines there that seem like they might be yeah. definitely definitely and then the third pass is when you bring the actors who voice them into the studio so the movie gets cut right and then we had my, you know, you've got 40 days of ADR. I mean, it's just endless because everybody, every line has got to be replaced. So and then you bring in like a Corey Feldman, who's so talented and knows the character of Michelangelo so well that he could ad lib some little side effects. You know, we would try and jam it into the How lip do you sync. Think but... That work because I've wondered that too. Is like with those guys coming in, they is there any wiggle room for them at all? Very little because it, by that point the movie's cut, and so the right. mouth is flapping. So it's it's hard to fit it in, but you're able to do it. Sometimes you can cheat it into some of those. Or you cut it away or whatever. Sure. Yeah, or catch the end of a lip. It's slightly out of sync, but you don't really notice. You know, often it's a little rubbery. Pardon the pun. (laughs) So, (laughs) but those guys, you know, I wish I'd had them on set. In retrospect, they're not available yet. You you have to book them only for their voice work. But it would have been great to have had them up. Sure. On set, you know, ad libbing some of that stuff. The um talking about so once you got once you and Eastman and Lair decided this is a time travel movie. Mm-hmm. Um do you remember how like finding the story, like how it developed or anything like that? Like I think I had the we jumped off the time travel and and I had an idea of I needed some device. The image I think that got sold them was I had I said this would be so great as if in the middle of the battle the turtles appear in full armor. Mm. And they get, they're they're just caught in this chaos and that and there's some War going, a village war, and that's what they everybody liked. And so I kind of backed the story out of that to try and think what what device could make them flip. And I thought it'd be interesting also if the warriors from the 500, 400, 1493, 1493, 400 years ago could come to New York. So I love the scenes yeah. in New York where they're with Casey and they're playing hockey and stuff. So, you know, they show up in present day New York and then they really start to like it. Uh, so I wanted that flip. And then Casey could be a character that April meets in the past and so forth. So that kind of built out of that. And I had to think of some device that would, you know, get transport them from one to the other. And, you know, again, that's in the early days of CG and visual effects. So this guy, Richard Malzahn, who's done a lot of big movies, came in and, you know, all that lightning, it's all hand-painted. That's all a hand-animated. None of that, none of those tools existed. That's so cool. Yeah. So well, that, we- was a, that was how the pitch. Was the was the scepter there suspended by a rod in the back? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then you paint the rod out and put in all the lightning, and then take the rod out and you know match match into that. That's so cool. You know, I, I I'm going to ask like some like some really nerdy questions. No, it's great. In, in the comic books, that scepter belongs to a character called Renette, who's this time traveling girl. Was that character ever in any form in that script? No, never okay, was. I didn't think so. I was just curious. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, was not. Uh, I was trying to tear a, a parallel love stories, of course, both sure. things. And but as I said, it's a big, oh, it was a huge debt to you know the master Kurosawa. Sure, of course, yeah, yeah. So you know that's 
that really helped me because that gave me all the emotional stuff that I wanted in the film that Eastman Laird wanted too, where they could actually be turtles, to your point, fighting real fights. You know, yeah. where there's there's real danger, there's a real bad actual stakes. Like, yeah, there was so a whole real 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 stakes. I mean, the village yeah. is gonna get burnt to the ground. And um, you know, you get this bad British guy, which is what the Brits were doing then. They were trading weapons, the British and the Portuguese were trading weapons back then. So it was sort of a legitimate thing to hang it on, and it gave it attention. And then we can have a kind of the fun of New York, you know, to bounce that out. Oh yeah. So once that happened, I had that basic idea of uh, you know, something happens in the past and the present, and then they get interconnected, the characters flip. Then it was a matter of, you know, stepping it out about how the conflict could play out in the village with the bad guys. But sure. that was a little easier to tell you the truth. The hardest part was getting the original idea. Then yeah. after that, the script script wrote quite quickly after that. I'm gonna. I, I doubt there was any coordination with this, but I'm so I'm I'm very curious. So once you're, I'm guessing once your film is already in production, they were to try to. They were kind of doing this, and I, I wasn't really aware of this at the time, but they were doing this thing where. All both the comic book, the movies, and the cartoon were all going back to ancient Japan all around the same time. Like a comic, a cartoon, and that. Was there any awareness of that on your end? I don't. Th- I imagine not. That's a really good question, Kevin um, Brian. No, and not at all. I mean, that was probably all going on behind the scenes, but I was not aware of that at all. Yeah, because they, no. they kind of timed it interestingly. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, which probably, I, they... I didn't know until I was an adult. Yeah, they probably did that for marketing. I'm sure they started to adjust the stories, probably, right? Yeah. I would think so. I mean, it was fun working with Eastman and Laird. I, I do regret not having – I wish we'd had more to do with them, more interplay, because they had the original vision of the characters, and I think it was very specific. Sure. And I think that they – and they'd sort of um, – I don't know if there was any kind of animosity between the studio and them or not but they they sort of they weren't really involved that much with the picture once i got going they came out they were very supportive but i wish i i wish i could have had more conversations like you and i are having i I think it would have made the picture better oh so once you got your idea approved it was kind of like that was yeah after that right exactly i just got a few notes after that but i i really wish that the dialogue had continued because i was quite comfortable working with them and i wish they'd i think they're i think the studios were afraid that if they came on set the things would just grind to a halt, sure. Because which, which can happen, right? You can get, then you have a discussion, and then you're not agreeing on what the scene is, and then you got this money's just being, you know, going out the window as 400 people are standing around. So, I think that was the worry of the studio is that you would get out there and these guys go, "I don't like the way you're doing that," or "I, I don't think he would do that," or you know, that would that's the danger. Sure, yeah. And then you have to right. nobody wants Re- that. Nobody wants that, and you know they're unhappy. But I do think they could have. Uh, I, I think they're such a talented. There were two really interesting guys. I know you've interviewed them. And I interviewed them, but... uh, Eastman a couple times. Uh, Laird is, is uh, mostly retired for the most part, but uh, I've interviewed Eastman a few times, which is yeah. Cool. Yeah, he's a more. I don't want to say personal, but easygoing of the two. I would yeah, say. he's a, yeah, more outgoing of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, uh, you know, what else I want to ask you? The uh, you know, speaking of that scepter. Um, that that the, that prop itself is really beautifully put together. Yeah, thank you. That was a it great prop. It revolves around it, and it's like it looks great. Thank you. That was a huge, as you can imagine, that was a huge design decision to try and build that thing. Again, yeah. that's the production designer was so talented. We had really, he brought in such a strong team around him because the whole thing revolved around that thing, and we had to make it right. And it was uh, beautifully designed. It would spin like that, and you know, it was it was gorgeous. It was go- again. 
you know, my wife and kids are going like, don't you have one of those scepters? <laughs> didn't you keep one? <laughs> like, no, I that didn't. would be a prop to keep. That would be, yeah. I have a little, little Although hard to fit under your jacket. Like yeah. hard, <laughs> it's hard, very hard, very, very hard to walk off the set with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Somebody's going to see it. And you know, the yeah. thing about time travel is it's so crazy because the rules have to, you know, the rules get bent after a while because you meet, you, you, you go crazy trying to figure out the time travel, but sure. what's where, what's, if that's happening then, is this happening now? It's, it can, you know, they, you know, they always said about Terminator, there's that refri what they call the refrigerator moment, which you've heard that term maybe. So, so, right. so the re so refrigerator moment is if you, when you watch Terminator, which was, by the way, shot by a camera when it shot a movie for me, just extraordinarily good picture. Uh, you know, James Cameron is just a genius. So when you watch Terminator, you go for this great ride and you're scared. And then at the, as you're going home that night, you're at the fridge going, wait a second. If sure. she was there, is that her kid? But is, would her kid really be? And you know, you have all those questions. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's called a refrigerator moment to the writers where you go home and you've enjoyed the whole thing at home. You go, wait a second, you're getting something on the fridge to snack and go, hang on. That didn't make any sense. You know? so, <laughs> <laughs> so we we had a few of those trying to figure out the time travel. One uh, thing this movie did was bring back, uh, he was absent from the second movie, Casey Jones. Uh, uh, was that your idea to bring him back? Was it that? Was it Eastman Laird? Do you know where why they decided to bring him back? Absolutely. The three of us wanted to bring him back for sure. He was a great character. That was, again, what we talked about at the beginning. You know, it was a bit of a, there was a pushback from Eastman Laird and, and then myself, because I was involved against the second movie. And not that Michael didn't do a good job, because he's a very talented director. But oh, yeah. the story had kind of wandered off track. And to try and get it back to something that was a little edgier with the great characters. And Casey's just fantastic. Elias Cateas is such a good actor. Oh, he's so good. Like, I, I saw him. So good. I think it was Shutter Island a couple few. I mean, it's probably like ten years ago now. Um, he's so good in that. Like he's so, so talented. I think he's in the last uh, season of Goliath. I think he's in. Was he's he? really good. And then he got to play the character from you know. How did that come about? Because he also uh, yeah. I th I thought that'd be fun if I, he played himself. You know, back in ancient Japan as a sailor that had been grabbed. I thought that'd be, and I thought it'd be really fun to meet April and Neil back in the past. You know, oh, that's cool. yeah, yeah. To have that romance blossom back there, and then present day bring it up. So that's so, and, and you know, it gave it gave uh, Elias something to play. So it was a lot more fun for him. He got to play sure. two parts. He could play the hockey guy with the mask, and but he got to go back there and play that other kind of wounded hero. You know, so it was nice. Give him a little actor arc. How was uh, how was Paige Turco to work with? Fantastic. She is really great. And I'll tell you something, Brian. Uh, you know, she came in in number two, I think. And number two was a movie that I hadn't liked very much. And so I wasn't sure about her. And I said, I'd just, you know, like to meet her if I could first. And they said, sure. So Paige and I met in New York and I liked her instantly. She's really a good actress. She's, just oh, she's so good to work with. So professional. You know, we're shooting up in the woods. and She was terrific. Yeah, I, 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 she's worked for me since. I can't say enough about how much I like her. She was great. And like I said, I mean, she got the role because I wasn't really sure about her from number two until I met her and I just realized she was perfect. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah she really does an excellent job at that character. And she, like, it's not, there's a certain skill set to be able to play off of a puppet. Yes. That's yep. underappreciated. Yep. Not everybody yep. sells it. For sure. Yeah. To stand, to play in those scenes like they're real. 
You know, yeah, it's tough. yeah. That's not that's that's something overlooked. But like when you you don't notice it's a skill set until you see somebody do it poorly. Exactly. And yeah. and and, t- and totally, she's right in the right sweet spot all the time. You know, she comes in with the right comic touches when she has to, and she's got the emotional touches. And to your point, she's playing it all with these four guys in rubber suits. You know, it's just crazy. And yeah. she makes it. She she actually grounds those scenes. Oh, always, yeah, always, always. And then she and uh, Elias were great. They had real chemistry together, so those scenes were fun to play. So what she's really pissed off at him, and when he kind of betrays her, I mean, all that stuff is kind of fun to play. Because he had real good actors playing them, right? And then Stuart Wilson, I got to give a shout out to him. He, you know, he's a, who played uh, the bad British guy, yep. Dirk Walker. He, we cast him. He's from the Royal Vic. I mean, he's trained classically trained. He'd just come off of playing. Um, uh, not Hamlet, but a huge role in uh, in England. And so here he is, game for anything. I love the British actors. I mean, they have such fabulous technique. He's a super talented guy. He came in and read for us. He was like perfect. And he was just doing a big movie, I think, with Mel Gibson after that. Didn't he do one of the Lethal Weapons? I think so. Anyway. I don't know. Forgive we're me. like, he said, well, I've got a young kid. and I, I, they, they like the turtles, so that's why we got him. And next thing you know, you know, he's on a horse in ancient Japan with guys in rubber suits. This guy was a classic Shakespearean actor. But really, like there's a sequence where he gets blown off the castle at the end where we, he, he find, finds his demise. They shoot the big fireball, the catapult hit, takes him off the roof. Mm-hmm. And I shot several takes of that, as you can imagine. Very, very tricky scene with wire work and stunt work. And it was him going off the thing all the time on, on wires. And only when I wrapped it, I find out he had dislocated his shoulder several days previously, and he never said a word to me. Not, oh, wow, what a pro. Not one word. Never said, I'm in a lot of pain here, you know. Listen, Nothing. I had to do the fireball today. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'd go one more time. He's like, really? Do we have to? Never. Nothing. Wow. Not a word. Just so that's the British theater-trained actors, right? They're just Speed up for anything. Wow. The, the actors in the movie. I, I also interviewed Sab Shimono. Uh, oh, very good, great, great in that. Like he's he's like a, isn't he, he good? He's a good villain. He, like he's a perfect villain, but he don't like you don't hate him too. Like you understand him a bit. And he's he uh he returned to Turtles. He 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 told a funny story where he's like years later he was supplied a voice for a new Ninja Turtles show, and he was like he thought they called him in because they knew him from the movie, and he was like they didn't know who I was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Was this a coincidence? <laughs> it was just he happening. It was just another turtles thing. Nobody knew it, but he was such a sweet guy. He's so nice, and in the movie, he's really good. He carries it. He's really good, and and a very sweet guy, a terrific actor. I mean, yeah, that, that movie was fun for the Asian actors. It really was because that was a really good part, and he was wonderful in it. He had all the gestures down. He'd studied all the samurai movies and the Kurosawa, so he had all the those right with the sword, a little piece of hair here. I mean, he was just. Yeah, that's Terrific. what he said. He said, like, this was like, I, he's like, I, he grew up on those movies watching Kurosawa and was like, this was really in his career. And he's probably 80 something now, I think it was. He was like, this, that was the only chance I really got to play that, yep. which is what he got into it for, which is so cool. Like, that's, I know. Yeah. It's it's really cool. It really like is. Like, the guys who go, like, wanted to get into Westerns, but there's not a lot of Westerns left, you know? So exactly like, right. Yeah. It's, you're so right. And he, here he is getting to play that actually period samurai daimyo warrior you know and then the whole cast i mean you you think about the talent the jailman the guy who played the big jail guy yes he's great yeah, wonderful glenn oh I he was great thing. so good some comedy just wonderful and 
the turtles themselves, you know, I cannot praise the turtle stuntmen enough. They were mostly, sure. uh, they, they were real masters to spin that, those weapons around in those suits. Unbelievably talented. Incredible. Oh, yeah. Most of them, I think, had done the first one. I don't know if some of them had done the second. I can't remember. I think we had a lot of people There's back a, a few carryovers. Feel, feel carryovers, I think. Some even carried over onto the live action show after that, I think. One or two. Yes, they did. They did. Yeah. I, they, someone stayed in touch with me. That's right. And um, the one thing, Brian, that I wish I'd done, I wish I knew now, knew then what I know now, is the uh, Pat, I just forgot Pat's last name. He did Karate Kid. He did the fighting sequences. Oh, Pat Morita. Uh, no, Pat. Pat. He was the actor in Karate Kid, the stunt coordinator. Oh, he was, no. anyway, he did the fighting because he had done the fights in Karate Kid, so he did the fighting in the Turtle movie, all three of them. Uh, but what the Golden Harvest did, of course, they had all the relationships in Hong Kong. They did all those Hong Kong movies, so they brought over a stunt team from Hong Kong who coordinated a lot of those stunt sequences. And I wish I had realized how talented they were. When I saw Crouching Tiger, I'm like, oh, man. I should have had that in the Turtles movie. Sure. Because that was their background. They did all that wire work. And I didn't realize it. I'm like, they, they were great at choreographing the stunts that we had, all those fights down with the encampment. There was a lot of fighting in that movie. And the Warriors in the battlefield and the final fun. Yeah. They did all those cool stunts. But they also were the guys that came from all that wire work. Oh, that's so, when I, so when I saw the Ang Lee movie, I'm thinking, wow, that would have been super cool to have had uh, some of that wire work in the Turtles. But that was, you know, 10 years earlier or whatever. The, uh, they were, they were okay. fabulous. The, uh, I was going to say, the, the, is there any memories you have from filming in Oregon? Like anything that went terribly wrong or anything like that? Any bad? <laughs> uh, or just well, you know, we have we were, it was, uh, you know, one of the things that people forget is in Oregon, it rains, you know, mm. slips people's minds. So, even me as a writer, I'm going, Holy, so we're up in the mountains and we got rained out with the mud and stuff. So, that made it pretty challenging to have those guys up there in the village with some of the village washed away. We showed up and there was no half the village was gone. So, that was a challenge. You guys built uh, a village for that, right? Oh, pardon me. You guys built a whole village for that. Built a whole village, like four or five thousand feet up a mountain. Exactly. I picked that whole outlook, and then yep. we so that whole thing. So part of it was washed out. And we couldn't get in. It was a big trek just to get the company in there, and uh, and then we had there was hangars built for World War II, Brian, where you had these big flying boats that would come off the Columbia River and they would come off the river into these giant hangars, and they were patrolling in World War II for Japanese submarines. So they built. So America built these enormous hangars. So they were sitting there empty. And that's why we ended up, that was another reason we went to Oregon. First of all, Oregon looks like Japan. All that coast of Oregon and Cannon Beach is a perfect, we had a Japanese tech, technical advisor, perfect match to that part of Japan, the coastline, oh, yeah. identical, the sand and the rock. And But these huge hangars is where we built that entire castle was built in an airplane hangar. And you can never find a stage. It's like the size of blimp hangers, you know, huge open Those stage. are all indoor. I, I, I figured they were sets, but they're indoor sets. Indoor sets. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You can imagine the scale of that stuff. And that's really. Yeah, it's a big set. It's a huge set. The castle's like, you know, three, four yeah. stories high, way up there. Yeah. Big gates and walls and courtyard. That was, those were all, that was a set built inside a airplane hangar. So pretty 
just logistically, it was a pretty, it was fun, you know. I mean, people like that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, it filmmakers, was, sure filmmakers it like to make work. movies, right? Yeah. You know, you know, I just be in a studio in Hollywood against a green screen. You want to be out you know, outside, actually shooting this stuff for real. I, mean, I think that's the charm of these movies. I mean, all three of them and all that is like the fact that like all of this from you know the puppetry to all that stuff is all tangible, which I think is. I don't know. I think it's too lost. You know, that's I, I totally agree with you. I think that is true. I think that you you said that so well, Brian, because there is something about that puppetry that it's it's kind of charming and it it's for, it sort of works. You know, when you go to slick yeah. CG, it's sort of then you're kind of aware that these are turtles, but some that does that make sense? But someone's the you just kind of buy into the whole world when it was this puppetry, that kind of cruder, rawer version. Yeah, seems seems to just support the comedy and the whole thing. That whole world seems to. I remember watching the trailer, the first one, going, "What the hell is this?" And my kids, of course, knew it, and it just worked instantly. You just forget what it is, and you go along with these guys. You know, you go on the ride. And I think if you get too much, you know, you. I know I've directed so many things since then with visual effects. I do a lot of visual effects work, and sometimes I will go back and insist on doing stuff for real. You know, blow something up for real, or we've done things where we blow up a a one third scale model, a miniature, like a one third scale, and blow that up for real. Because there's randomness that happens when you do that for real that your brain just knows it's happening. Sure. Whereas CG, there's just something about that. I don't know. That plane looks just a little off. There's something that tells you. So, you got these guys running around in the rubber suits. You just you're just kind of in that world, you know. And Splinter is little character with the, you know they all just sort of and i think it i think it's kind of has a its own kind of charm to it maybe it's because i'm a bit nostalgic for that but i feel i kind of agree with you i mean i i, I you've seen them make leaps and bounds and i'm not saying it's all bad either like some of that avengers stuff you definitely need it for mm -hmm. but we're like absolutely like and i i just think like the if i'm kind of of the belief if you can do it real do it like i, I think that that newer star wars show mandalorian has maybe done a little bit of this i think where, like, if they can do more puppets, they're trying to bring more puppets back into it. Just because there is... And I'm sure it's, it makes a huge difference for the actors, too. Like, yeah, playing against a green dot floating in front of your face yep. versus playing with a thing yeah. with eyes. Now, yeah. now it's a difference. Well, to your point with the scenes with Paige, right? All those scenes. There's, you know, four characters standing there in, this, in the scene with her, talking to her. Yeah. She's interacting with them, right? She walks around them, and you're talking, having those conversations. <laughs> <laughs> as crazy as it is yeah <laughs> but you know when you're immersed in that that uh world it's uh everybody takes it very seriously it was fun as a writer to write stuff on the page and i've had this experience several times as a writer i've written and directed my own movies and i've written and directed scripts that other directors have directed and uh it's fun when you write something and then you you know you're walking around and there's hundreds of people having arguments and discussing what you wrote in detail and you just made this stuff up right <laughs> you, do you have a favorite scene or sequence in this movie that really stands out thinking like we really got this there uh well comedy wise i love the hockey sequence in present day new york i just think that's very funny when like, fun stuff there, yeah. casey tries to teach him to play hockey um <laughs> you know um i i like i like the Raphael scenes with the little boy i like those a lot um i thought those were really effective I thought that the battle at the end was was well done. That was probably my favorite sequence when they fight it out in the castle. That was took a lot of effort. 
And I, that to me was, you know, all the characters coming together. I thought that was a good sequence. I enjoyed that one. Okay, uh, question for you. This is getting back into the nerdiness. There's that no. where they're in the castle before the big fight and they open up that scroll and it's the turtles. Right. And even when I was a kid, I was like, wait, wait, they were there before. Explain it. <laughs> How do you like what I'm curious about the, the the scroll? Because I've thought about that a lot in my more than any human being. <laughs> that that uh, that's that's such a good question. That's that was uh, one of the key devices to come up with, actually. It okay, really was cool. to Yeah, yeah. That was a really that was um I don't know whether I thought of it or the recent Laird. I can't not remember. But we wanted a way to suggest that, oh, I know, when we pitched the Time Story story, and I said, let's go back to ancient Japan. Let's have the turtles actually be existed. But back then, they were like created as mythical creatures, like almost monsters. And I, and uh, that's how the scroll evolved, because we thought it'd be so cool if uh, in ancient Japan, there's the turtles. <laughs> back there, in, in the mythology of ancient Japan, that there were these kappa, these creatures that had, that were kind of People were kind of demons, and people weren't sure if they were, if they were good or bad. But people were scared of them. And it turns out that they're the turtles. We evolve into you know show up in present day New York. So that was really fun to do that whole scroll and design it. And we wanted that real reveal moment where you go, "Oh my God, that's the turtles!" Right when you're yeah, in close. Yeah, that's great. I'm curious who. I mean, I, I probably lost, but it's really well done artwork. Like I'm curious who did it. It's so beautiful. Nice. Uh, well, Roy Forge Smith, who's the production designer, brought in. Um, amazing illustrators for that he, he, that was all all designed and done by i can't remember who did it i don't know where that stuff is it would be great to have it i don't know if golden harvest has it locked away but th those would be great you gotta so much put, lost by now it's it's unfortunate i'm sure it's 30 years ago but that was all real that was gorgeous stuff but that was really fun to design all that and do that reveal that, I love the scenes with Saab, actually. Talk about favorite yeah, he's scenes. Great. He's really. I was thinking the scenes when they grab April and Neil, you know, she's there and they grab her and they bring her in and he's there. Those scenes I thought played really, really well. The scenes that even in the beginning, the Walkman stuff is very funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the one. Exactly right. <laughs> they all chop it off. Exactly. <laughs> the Walkman's very <laughs> You know, do you know the screenwriter Robert McGee who teaches classes? So anyway, there's a very famous guy called Robert McGee who teaches screenwriting classes. Okay. I don't know if he's still doing it, but he was the guy, the guru for a long time. And I was in the middle of writing the script and he came through. I was shooting in Toronto, a movie up there. So I wrote in Toronto for a while in the hotel room. He came through Toronto and I took his workshop on the weekend. It's very, very good. He's excellent. I was already writing. I already been writing for a long time. So then. Ethan Laird hired him to look at my script and give me notes after that, which was funny. And then, so he gave so he gave me some notes on it, some good, some bad. And then Golden Harvest hired him to give notes. <laughs> <laughs> so when he gave the Golden Harvest notes, he kind of refuted a lot of the notes he'd given me from the other side. I really love funny. that. That's great. <laughs> you had to wear the other hat and go, actually, this sequence does really work. You know, it was really funny. <laughs> But that's how, you know, we just wanted this to be a, a story that had a lot of fun. I mean, the comedy is is there, but we really also want to be, it's a little more of an emotional story. You know, yeah. that's, I think that's some things people don't like, but I sort of enjoy, as a filmmaker, I kind of like that. There's oh, just, no, I think that, I, I, honestly, I think the drama of it, carry, like, Michael has a real story arc to him. Like, like yes. A lot of time, yep. and I, I don't... Uh, 
some of the other turtle pieces, not that I think it's, it has to be all even, but some of the other ones feel like that certain characters take the stage and then other characters, other turtles yeah. are relegated to the back. It felt like this one, like, I don't know if it was exactly even, but it felt like everybody got their due. Donatello got to kind of nerd out over the time travel stuff. Yeah. Angelo had this whole story arc, Raphael with the kid, Leon, like yeah. everybody yeah. had their moments that I thought were needed, which was cool. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. That was uh, on purpose because I think those actors are good and those are interesting characters. Yeah. You know, and it's fun to explore them like that. That was, yeah, that, that was, was fun deliberate. to write for, have like writing wise. Like, was there one turtle easier than another to write for? Uh, Michelangelo's probably the easiest one to write. And then sure. Raphael, Raphael, those two are the easiest to write, I would say. Okay. And because you can find comedy with those, both those guys and Raphael with his temper and all that stuff, he, he's easier to kind of write. And Mikey with his kind of comedy and enthusiasm. Um, Leo and Donatello, a little more serious, a little more, a little trickier to write and find the, find the humor there, I think. Um, it was, we had um, a guy, what's his name? Joe Patira. I don't remember what he'd written. I did, came in and did a little punch up for me. Did a small punch up near the end, halfway. Uh, but for the most part, the challenge, you know, was to, and I said this at the beginning, the challenge was there was, there was such a high bar set by number one. Yeah. That you couldn't redo number one, you know, you couldn't no. try and do that story again. You would just fail. So that's why we had to go. I think that's why Eastman Laird wanted to just go a completely other way. And you know, people are funny. They like some people like familiarity. Like they're mad that you don't use the same villain over and over again. <laughs> yeah, but how, like how many times? Like, uh, like the newest movie. They just, there's a new movie out in theaters now, and the the um, it's the 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 main villain isn't Shredder. And I thought like fantastic. We don't like that's that's good. We don't always need the no. same recycled over and over and over again. It's like exactly different. Exactly. I haven't seen the new one. I understand it's very good. It's, it's good. Rogan, it's a I lot think, of fun. Right? Really, yeah, I heard. It, I heard it's very good. Yeah, it's, it, a, it's, it's a fun movie. They did a really nice job with it. It's um, an animated, yes. Yeah? So the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all cartoon animation. Right. I, right. I think I prefer like that over human actors with a CG suit. Like I like the I like the real suit with the humans, but the yeah, yep. The I don't know. Like I, it's a cartoon. Let's make it a cartoon. So it embraces the cartoon aspect. It's a much yeah stillier thing but it's 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 a good movie it's a lot of fun i think uh, I, I agree with you i think i'm exactly in your camp for that I'd, I'd either see the guys in the henson suits or i'd want to see the animation yeah like pick, yeah pick, yeah pick, yeah, so. yeah for sure i heard it's really good i'm also but, yeah, that, go ahead sorry oh, go ahead no i'm good so i was gonna say uh, there was another thing i was curious about the um that the set of the sewer where was that was that in is that in los angeles or was that in Oregon? Where was that? That was that was that was all in Oregon with all those. That's oh, so was that the set from part two moved or was it rebuilt? Uh so it looks like the same set, but I could be wrong. I believe it was rebuilt. It might have been moved. I can't remember if not because it was the same designer on all three movies. I think I think Roy Forsmith did all three. So. Uh, and you know those big airplanes hangars I'm telling you about—they were so gigantic up in. So all the sets were built in those hangars. Oh, that makes sense. All, so all of the New York set, the turtles, the, the, the like you said, the, the the subway car set—that was all up there. Oh yeah. Now, whether, whether they brought the subway up from down here, I can't remember. Or whether it was rebuilt, well, I guess is probably sitting somewhere in. Probably. It would have been in North Carolina, I think. Right. Yeah. Isn't that where they did number two as well? I'm not sure. That's what they did too as well because it was cheaper. Um, exactly. So I my guess is they just rebuilt it to to move that set would be 
Maybe clumsy, but they probably. I know that they I, also used that set for the television show afterwards. They bought, so, maybe they bought it from the Oregon set or something. But I bet they did because it was wasn't the TV series shot in Vancouver. Yeah. So I my guess that was what they did. They just because one of our one of our turtle stuntmen was Canadian. I remember. I, I'm actually Canadian, so that's why I know this. Yeah, and Raphael, got, and he became the voice actor. I, th I think so. He was like, he was or, 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 or was it Larry? Or no, Matt Larry. Hill. Also, a guy called Larry, who, who Larry just did a big stunt sequence for me in a, in a series, miniseries I did maybe six, eight years ago, fighting actually. I think he's also in. He's in my film. I think he's. I think he was in that one. And I. So my guess is Brian. They just moved those sets up to Vancouver. It's not that far. Yeah, I think those ones moved. Yeah, over. Yeah. I, I was curious if yours borrowed from the second one or not. And it look, if not, they they nailed the look of it. I think they just matched it, and then we threw in that ZZ Top tune <laughs> when oh, they yeah. came up dancing, which was fun. So we threw that. In. That sequence kind of evolved because we didn't know what good way to introduce the turtles with some energy. Yeah, I, that sequence is so much fun though. It really like <laughs> it really it, starts the movie off in a big it, way. Uh, you know, it was wild, and I was so fortunate that. That movie, and you would appreciate this as a, as a filmmaker, it premiered at the Cinerama Dome in L.A. Oh, that's great. So packed house. You can imagine going in there because, you know, the, that it was just jammed. I don't know how many people that held. It has to hold, I don't know, a thousand people. It's just huge. Sure. And just the kids just stomping and yelling and the mayhem and the energy and the excitement. It was incredible to have that movie premiere on that huge screen down there. It was wild. So when they come out dancing, the place just went nuts. <laughs> it's hard not to love that opening sequence. <laughs> I really love, I don't know why, but that one song, oh, is it Tarzan Boy? Tarzan something? Which uh, I can't remember myself. There's a song from the trailer, and it's in one scene of it, and it's just this kind of, I think it's Tarzan. <laughs> but it? it's like the sound that was with the trailer. All the trailers had this. And it's like, I permanently associate that song in this movie. <laughs> and you know, John Dupre, the composer, he's a British composer. I can't remember the films he's done, a lot of films. But those are real, you know, Komodo drums, and that's all that drumming and stuff. That was a huge orchestra. I mean, that was a huge score. It was recorded in London, I think. I mean, that's what they used to do, right? It was a big orchestral piece. Just think to score so. that movie. Yeah. It's funny when you used to do that, right? Although you'd actually go get a big orchestra and record it. They used to do that for cartoons. I know. They would do that I for know. cartoons, which is like, yeah. Now, yeah. Bring in a full orchestra. So that was kind of fun, too. So I think we shot that and recorded that in the Beatles studio in London, Abbey Road. Yeah. Oh, cool. Air. Yeah. So, you know, it was all that production value. That was all fun to do. But those guys, those, I can't give enough credit to those actors and those suits and those puppeteers, how good they were day after day after day to put that stuff on and bring that enthusiasm, knowing it was going to be a long day and grueling. You know, they were just, I never had any complaints from any of that cast and they were all shooting on location. It's phenomenal. I've had more complaints from actors, you know, in Los Angeles in a stunt stage in Paramount. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, can we shoot that soon so I don't have to go home and rush our traffic? You know, like what? <laughs> I directed a guy in a turtle suit who passed. My day, exactly. There was a guy right. in a turtle suit. <laughs> Got pulled off a horse in the mud. Oh, that was a tough day, right? <laughs> well, oh, I'm wearing the, a little turtle. This little fire, turtle thing is go. go the fire this is from go. The the fire scenes. Like what that I mean, that's all practical effects too, right? What all practical that? effects. Very, very difficult. Yeah. That's all yeah. practical. Yeah, those are all. You know, 
takes a lot of work to have safety around, especially with those suits. They had to be all flame proofed and everything, and all the wardrobe, all that has, has got to be all be dipped so it doesn't catch on fire on the material around it. You know, it was, uh, there were some big sequences in there for a film. Really were. There were big kind of a- big action movie sequences. Oh, yeah. Just because it was location driven, right? So that makes it, gives it huge scope right, automatically. I had an Israeli cameraman who had shot a movie for me in Israel and done second unit for me. So he came over with some of his crew. Yeah. He was very funny. Great guy. It took him a while to figure out the humor, but he was good. <laughs> Did, uh, do you remember any response afterwards talking to Eastman Laird or anything like that after the fact or, or, or I, I, I never talked to them directly I heard that they were uh, I, I think they were okay with it uh, I think they were happy with it uh, Laird is kind of taciturn I think Eastman was pretty happy with it that's for sure but I never talked directly with them I'd love to see them I have never seen them since oh, wow. 19, 1993 yeah isn't that crazy uh, you sure were telling I... me before we started talking, the uh, you have a handful of uh, memorabilia from the movie. I, I think you showed me, you had Michelangelo, Donatello. Yeah, Wait, and then I've got, uh, I've got Saab, the... Uh, nice, yep, with the Nor- scepter. Noronango, I've got Casey, when he was back in ancient Japan. Yep. And, and then the bad guy, Wilson. Uh, I mean, Dirk. I don't oh, know nice. where, I don't know where, uh, I've lost two of my turtles. They've disappeared. Oh. They're probably worth a fortune. <laughs> those aren't too bad those aren't that crazy that stuff was so mad because i'm trying because my daughter i have them look at what you got there it's incredible yeah and i don't know if you know like there's a uh they, they there's this fancy toy company called neca that makes like collectors high-end stuff and they just uh-huh. make their set of the third movie oh and they look like fantastic they look awesome oh. we hang up they I look like, that. like beautifully done it's really cool you know i was I did, I've done, I want to say 10 movies for Disney. I think I've directed something like that. But anyway, one of the sequences I got, there was a guy there who ran Disney, Michael Healy, who's a genius. Um, ran Di- he was number two at Disney. And he called me, he said, I don't want to meet you. I want you to direct a film for me. And I go into his office. He said, look at this. And he had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 uh, on his wall. Because he'd gone with this kid. It was like his favorite movie. <laughs> That was actually funny enough, and I, I don't know if I saw these. I, I'm just remembering this now. That's the first movie I remember seeing in a theater. I I probably saw oh, the other cool, one, but I know I remember going to the theater for that one because I was oh seven. Yeah, perfect actually, age. I can, I can recall those. I was probably perfect. Remember the other one? So. Perfect age, and this executive had gone with his son to see it, and that's what he had in, the, in his. He still had, he had that in his office. And it was always there. <laughs> You you still have that poster, right? You sent me a picture. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, that's I a do. great poster too. It's a really great cool. poster. They really yeah. did a good job. I think they changed the the time, and that one I think it says that's the original. I think it says fifteen ninety three, and that one I think. Yes, I noticed that too because yeah. I guess yeah. like, in the movie itself it's sixteen oh three. Yeah, I don't know why they did that exactly. Well, yeah, right, like because I I wrote it on purpose. It would be four hundred years when it came. I knew it was coming out in ninety three, so I wanted it to be four hundred years earlier. Oh, and then they changed it later on in post. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why. The other so that yeah. poster that I have is the original poster with the original date that I had in the film. It's so crazy. I don't know who made that decision. What like who sat down did, did, did the math and say this would be funnier? I have no idea. That's so strange. <laughs> yeah, without a clue, without a pizza. I mean, it's a very good poster. It's a great poster. Yeah, it really is. No, it was. It's a that opening sequence. By the way, is one of my favorite sequences. That was oh, fun. The, with, with, on the beach. Rising Sun and Galaxy. Oh, yeah. And how was that done? 
Because it's all practical. It was, it was all practical with guys on horses galloping, and then we did an artificial horizon. That was uh, to go up and down. To get oh, the, cool. up and down. We, we tried it on the real dunes. We got some of it for real, but it's very hard to get the framing on such a long lens, get the big sun behind them. Yeah. So was, I thought I always thought that would be a cool image. That's my kind of shout out to Kurosawa, those kind of imagery, you know, like that. The um, I, I, Strangely enough, and I don't know why this is, and I'm guessing uh, uh, it, it was just done, but in, since the early 2000s or mid-2000s or whatever, the movie has been given like the subtitle Turtles in Time, but it never had that before. No, no it didn't. It was, it was back in time, was it? Or what the heck was it? So that know. was like the tagline, but I mean, like, yeah. if you buy a DVD no. now, it says yeah. Turtles in Time as like yeah. three colon Turtles in Turtles. Time. No, it doesn't. I never saw that before. No. In fact, I've got the original script here. It was actually, I don't remember this title either, The Sacred Scroll of Death. I have no idea of writing oh. that. Oh, wow. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, The Sacred Scroll of Death. I have no idea. Sacred or secret? Sacred. Huh. I have no idea when no I take that or why. Isn't that crazy? Wow. That's right on the on the front page. Wow. <laughs> so... And I know that didn't stick. And then I think at one point there was something, the sands of sands of time or sands of something because of off the hourglass, right? That that was sure. thrown around. Why but not back... throw Days of Our Lives reference in the title? <laughs> <laughs> right after Days of Our Lives, exactly. Same world, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> totally just perfect transition. <laughs> Yeah, Golden Harvest, there it is. I don't know what that is. So funny. You, you said you went through the script. Was there any major changes that you're like, oh, wow, like that, that took you by surprise, aside from the title, which I... The title, I'm like, what? Uh, no, I didn't get through the whole thing, but, you, but just before I talked to you, I got partway through, but it was really uh, it was very interesting to read. I had done an interview with uh, German television. Maybe it was before the CGI one came out. I don't know. They re-released it in Europe. Isn't that crazy? I'll tell you this. I, I didn't know if that was the case or not. The um... Did you do a commentary? Yes. No, I did. didn't know that. Okay, so the first one, I, Lord knows why, the DVDs of the first one, there's no commentaries on any American release of any of those movies. But for some reason, the first one, apparently now the third, they had just before the new movies came out, they put in um, commentaries that only sold in Germany. How crazy, Brian. No idea. I, I didn't know either, because I, I talked to Steve Barron, and he did a commentary for a German one, but never came to America. I can't believe you knew that. That's exactly right. It, this German company contacted me, and I was filming, and I was shooting a picture in Toronto, and I went to a soundstage and watched the movie for the first time in you know years, and that's did a live live commentary. It was really fun, actually, to do that. But that's yeah, that's exactly right. That's when I, I saw the I can picture. Find those because those don't. I, I've tried to see if I can. I know you'd think that would be a natural, yeah. wouldn't you? Or like, like, I mean, DVDs like extras aren't really a thing anymore. But back then they were. I don't know. They don't sure know. were. They were huge. The, the, um, it was fun to see it again and do that. Yeah, that that was. And and then I tried to dig out some pictures, which of course, I had that one shot I showed you of me directing a turtle. I love that. That's what made me wonder, like, who when you when you're saying cut or whatever. <laughs> like, like, I know. <laughs> who you talk to, right? Like, is it? The it's so crazy. That's my wife's favorite shot of me directing. My wife's a producer. Is of all the people I've directed, that's her favorite shot. It's a great people. one. It's really good. <laughs> I'm in this intense, like I'm directing, you know, <laughs> Marlon Brando. 
It's very oh. real. It's so fun. I love it. I know. It's or DiCaprio and I'm talking to a turtle. I know exactly. <laughs> and so the fun. turtle's like listening very attentively. It is. Know? Like off the post that it's so fun. It's like <laughs> it really is a very serious picture. The, the, the sewer set, I think. It's great. I love that. <laughs> no, it was great. Was, that's the only way you could do it, just to shout at these turtles. But we all took it very seriously, and had, at the same time, we had a lot of fun. That's for sure. The guys hung out up there; it became like a hangout. Right, everybody's in Astoria, Oregon, or Cannon sure. Beach. So we were there for months. So everybody had a, got to know each other, and they were all a great group. Same place they built Goonies and a handful of us. Yes. Wow! Yeah. Wow! You were good. Exactly. It's exactly yeah. where they shot Goonies. That's where that hangar is. Is in that town, mm. right, in the, right in the banks of the rivers, because that's on the. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And I think they did a. The Schwarzenegger movie there too, right? Was it Kindergarten Cop? No, was that? Yes, Kindergarten there? Cop. That's the one. Yes, I think so. Yep. Exactly. So no, it's a beautiful spot. <laughs> you know, my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody: Who's your favorite turtle, and why? Oh, I think Raphael. Oddly enough, I, yeah. I kind of I drift to Raphael. I think uh, you know the other ones are so much fun, Michelangelo, Leo, Donnie. But uh, I have to say, Raphael, I, I, he strikes me as kind of a old time movie hero. Sure, you know, there's just something about him. It's not John Wayne, but he's he's got an old time values. I, I sort of I, I like a guy that not in control all the time. You know, that has a temper that has a real human side to him. Which is funny saying this conversation about a turtle. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing with everyone to mention, maybe it's just because I like this part. Is the when they build the other scepter, the fake scepter? Yeah, and <laughs> this is the one line that gets me even as an adult. Is when April's like, "You're not going to have Donatello build a scepter," and then you go, "No, he is <laughs> old time blacksmith. <laughs> He's really good with his hands." That part, <laughs> boy, is so funny. <laughs> that was fun. That was funny. <laughs> it was a great moment. Really. We had those were fun sequences, dude. They really were, you know, yeah. get those sight gags to work like, like that. And the turtles, they're just, there's something about the turtles. I don't know, they're just so endearing. There's something about yeah. them. I just love them. You know, they just, that kind of comedy like you just described and all that, you know, they're just, they're just I don't know, it's kind of a throwback comedy, I guess, that always makes me laugh. Yeah, there's a real, I mean, like, I, what I, I, Donatello is a lot of fun of those. Like, I, I'm, I've always been a Donatello fan, and he's got some great, like there's a lot of fun and camaraderie between them. I think that's why they worked in the with was like everybody, every kid who got into turtles, I think like they saw themselves in one of those four. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I wish they'd had different colored bandanas because that drove me nuts. Like, is it the purple or the blue or the orange or the red? Like, you know, those slight different shades of bandanas where they couldn't, <laughs> couldn't there feel like a green and a yellow. I mean, it was really hard to get those colors to show up on film. Oh, sure. Yeah, the color corrected. Yeah, it's they're tricky, right? Orange and red, pretty close, blue and purple. Sure. So that was always me crazy. It's like, Kevin and Peter, couldn't you have come up with it? You know, two more colors? Really? They like, actually, uh, I don't know if you know this, the original comic books, they were all red. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, in the original comics, oh. they all had red masks. And then when they were bringing it to the cartoons, they're like, we got to differentiate. The hell are like nobody knows what the hell these things are. Like you had to switch it up. So yeah, then, yeah, no, yeah. Oh, oh, that's a great story. I didn't know. Yeah, that. the original comics is all red masks all the time, and it's 
Even as a fan who's read those, I'm like, I don't know who's talking half the time. And I'm like, I obviously dedicated too much of my life to this. And I couldn't tell who's talking a lot. Of so, I didn't know that's a great story because that's true. I had no, you have no idea otherwise, right? Yeah. Full, not, full trail suits running around. I yeah. know. <laughs> Again, Stu, it's a huge pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This is great. Oh, uh, Brian, it was so much fun catching up with you. It brought back a lot of good thoughts. I mean, and you are so great to talk to. I, I, it's a real pleasure. Same here. Thank you so much. You bet. Take care. Take care. Calabunga, dude. You too. <laughs> Calabunga. <laughs>